Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Peter Vale, uh, among so many interesting and insightful things he, he said across his career, was that theory and practice are in a dance. Theory without practice doesn't move very much, and practice without theory is struggling and stumbling and working too much from the moment in what you're making up as you go along. So why am I going into this? To introduce Diana Sanchez and the conversation I had with her. Because this conversation was like a dance. If I were just talking to myself about practice of any sort, you wouldn't be very interested, nor after a while would I. Uh, or if she were just talking in an interview format where I gave her three, four questions and she answered them in short paragraphs, that wouldn't be much of a dance either. But when you listen to this, uh, she'll say something, then I'll say something, and then she'll say something, and it gets me to think of something else, and I'll move over here with my thought, and then she would respond, and that would take her over there with a thought. So we danced all over the floor in this conversation, and uh, I can't thank Diana Sanchez enough, nor after this conversation will you not want to thank her for her animation and for how quick she was in moving this old former professor of hers uh, around the floor. So here, folks, is market analyst for the Travelers Companies, Diana Sanchez. Oh, boy, this here I am. I, I, you know, I'm indulging myself as I'm resuming this podcast series after taking a few weeks off uh, to get started on working on Peter Vale's book, which is something I've wanted to do for a long while. And finally, we have all the uh, eyes dotted and the T's crossed and I'm working on Peter's book. But I had to get back uh, to something I scheduled with Diana Sanchez weeks ago. And that is a chance to catch up and to share her magical story. <laughs> I think of it as magical because I remember Diana when she came to us through the Traveler's Edge program, amazingly able to speak English better than I, and I'm <laughs> born here, and yet she'd only been in the country a short time and so forth. And today she is a marketing analyst for the Traveler's Companies. Uh, but uh, I had a, jotted down a, a couple of words, Diana, as I was remembering you and thinking about this conversation. I, the words were, hmm, what do we have here? Hmm, what do we have here? And that was you. I mean, like, come around the corner, see something on, that you haven't seen before, and you go, hmm, what do we have here? And you don't go, oh, no. <laughs> oh, God, let me, let me get away. You just... You think, what do we have here? And then you proceed to find out. Now, you're doing the whole thing for, for travelers now because travelers looks out to its market future and says, hmm, with the changes with the, the return of the COVID variant and all the rest, they go, hmm, what are we insuring now? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So what do you think about that phrase? Is that you? What do we have here? 
Yeah, I, I think I'm a really curious person, which definitely helps me in my job. I'm always trying to look at what trends are going on in the market. Um, right now, I'm actually starting to get more into the competitive side instead of just focusing so much on the internal side. So um, I really I really like that. Just like, for example, with COVID, I always thought like, oh, my God, what is COVID doing to like the market in general? Um, it mostly affected uh personal auto. Um, my new role is in business insurance and middle market. So uh, one of the biggest things that we saw is that there was um, higher severity, but less frequency of accidents. So um, most of it had to do with like the fact that not many people were outside, but it's still because there's less people, people are speeding up or something. So like we kind of had to like keep track of that. And I thought that was really interesting mm -hmm. um, to see. But yes, I'm always curious to see what's going on and, and what are some things that we can do better or uh, look out to to a company that we admire or, or foresee. How do you use that um, as, as an, an employed marketing analyst? How do you put that, that uh, curiosity to work for the company? So I think it all starts with, uh, I'm looking at a number and then the number looks off or, or it just looks interesting and, you know, numbers person here, but um, yeah. it's more than that. It's not just the number, but sometimes we can look at the data and we're like, well, this is driving it, but what's behind what's driving it? We can be like, well, this number is really big and that's why this number is so big, but it's like, okay, so who's, who's doing this? Is it a, a sales issue? Is it an insurance issue? Are we not pricing right? So that's what you have to think in the product management side. It's not just one thing. Sometimes there's many things that you have to take into account. So that's the way I use my curiosity. Yeah. yeah. So, so you start with a number and it's different than what you expect. And you go, Hmm, what do we have here? And then you uh, find through the various analytics that you have access to and your wonderful actuary team. And you, you look for a bolder uh, picture uh, of that number. And uh, now it's data. And then you go, Hmm, what do we have here? And then, <laughs> Down, well, and, and my hunch is that eventually you get to human behavior. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> people driving their autos, people forgetting to lock their businesses, you know, when they left at night yep. uh, and on and on. Uh, so that people factor, uh, it's not as concrete, is it? But you have to somewhat sell it mm -hmm. uh, first to yourself and to others in order for people to get the fuller picture of, of the uh, market for travelers exactly what do you what do you, what do you like about that part where you start working out scenarios uh, with yourself and then with your team about what pe what human behavior is is possibly driving this change or this opportunity yeah so i believe it's it's definitely something that um comes with time as well. I think keeping the balance is always hard. Like, you know, you will think as an analyst, it's always like numbers, 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 but you, you have to look at the other side. You have to see, okay, but like, something's driving this number it's not just like another number you know so that's mm -hmm. just like what you always have to think and i think um the human factor comes with the support that you get from your team as well so if you have um many people on the team that are thinking the same way you're never going to get to the point that you want because we're all going to be like agreeing with like each other and then not really understanding what's behind everything else whereas if we have different perspectives we're more able to just be like oh okay maybe this is this thing and not you know the other thing that we thought and then it's 
most of the time, like you said, it's not just numbers. Most of the time it's like, oh, we have to reach out to this to this business partner because we don't have the data for that or we don't have the explanation for that. And it could mm-hmm. be something deeper than just a number telling us we're doing bad or good, you know? Oh, that's great. Yeah. It sounds to me like uh, even though I assume you're still remote because I heard, mm-hmm. you know, Travelers is not coming back perhaps until fully until at least October, but you have uh, conversations to uh, initially, of course, thinking it yourself, but then you, you engage others in something that my son and I have looked at very carefully during this whole podcast series. And that is how do you use the moments of conversation to illuminate, to accentuate, to eliminate and focus on you know, that kind of refining that's necessary before turns into, let's say, a full report of a trend. Uh, So with whom do you normally converse daily? Um, So in my team, we have uh, different roles. So I report to a market director. um, And then we also have senior market analysts, we have other market analysts, and then we have an ADP that's going to be talking to other licensed business, is going to be talking to other business partners. But we do have to communicate closely with other people like underwriters, HRL people. So one of the things is that in PI, usually any company, any insurance company, PI is always going to have the most data because personal insurance is pretty straightforward. You have a house, you have a car, even if it has the most advanced technology, it's going to always be the same thing. It's a house and it's a car. Um, Whereas commercial insurance, you have so many different things. People come up with the craziest businesses and you're just like, okay, what's going on right now? You know, and there's a lot of emerging things. Um, There's a lot of things that become legal that weren't legal. So, you know, like you have to like look at how that's affecting us as an insurance company, Um, you know? um, So in the aspect, we also have to talk to legal. We have to make sure that we are not doing anything that is like wrong or or, that kind of stuff. So I think it's really important that, that we communicate always with all those different people. And it's always harder on the commercial side because of the complexity of the businesses. Yeah. But then it gives you a lot more, oh, what do we have here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, by <laughs> far. <laughs> you know, like, like for example, the part across my mind that there's in the news today around the country, particularly here in Connecticut is when I saw it, that uh, even mid-sized companies down to small businesses have to make a decision to whether or not to require their employees to be vaccinated mm-hmm. uh, before they can come to work, or at least they have to be regularly tested. And on the surface, it's say, well, of course, but on the, when you look at it in the larger context of the political scene and, and the, the fast way that uh, this whole COVID situation is breaking, it's not that simple. And there's a piece I'm, I imagine within your, your insurance policy for a, a company where you're insuring liability. So now we got, oh, what's going to happen here? <laughs> you know, always I've, liability. <laughs> <laughs> always liability. As you said, now we got to talk to legal because, and, and then your underwriters come along with new proposals coming in from agents and uh, they're tossing a few uh, surprises across the transom. Uh, so let me ask you this. Um, are you ever bored? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, <laughs> I actually am not. Um, I do think it comes with what you like and what you don't like. I do think that the position that I am right now is the perfect mixture between business and analytics. So like I said, yes, numbers are important, but I'm also always thinking and, and strategizing around whatever project I have to do. It's not just the same thing. I like that it's always changing. I think the fun side to be fun to be an analytics person is that there's always something going on you know it's always something going on in the market there's always something going on with human behavior like there's so many things that are always like going surrounding our job and insurance is never going to leave so there's you always have to like keep developing and, and leveraging those new trends that are going on i'm i'm smiling folks because <laughs> i can remember uh i was a faculty sponsor for our relationship with travelers when we brought the edge program uh, into our school and it's in several other schools here and around the country. And why I'm smiling about that is that I used to go out uh, to high schools like New Britain High School, about 3000 students and and pitch to these sophomores, juniors and even eighth graders. When we had the eighth grade program, I used to pitch to them, hey, we're in Hartford. Look around you. These are massive companies that insure. Wouldn't you be interested? and working in companies like this. And I would get this look like, uh, it's not baseball. It's not, it's not football. It's not soccer. It's not dance. It's not, you know, it's not creative. I, you know, I would march in that door. I'm, I'm reading into the little minds there. I'd march into that door all like I am. And I'd come out all gray and tired and, and, oh no, another 42 years and I'll be able to retire. Now, you're living it now and you sound pretty excited. What would you say to those sophomores in New Britain High School about I mean, thinking seriously about getting into this work? So I think the problem, because I was one of those people, not gonna oh. lie, I wanted to go into just um, start my paintings, um, you know, get commission, you know, partner with other businesses, but all the arts related or go act or you know model whatever it is I wanted to be in the entertainment industry you know and I always thought like why would I go to insurance you know and then uh, people came in from different insurance companies like there's a lot of opportunities and so the biggest thing is this I now have a stability in my life financial stability is really important to me what I could do now, I could buy whatever art supplies I want. I could, you know, do any type of networking I want and promote my business if I started one. You know, all that stuff, I have it because I have that financial stability. And if I just jump into something that is uncertain and I didn't really know how to go about it, I would probably be struggling a lot right now. I'm not saying you should just not struggle and like, you know, always just find the easy way out. What I'm saying is now I can do both. Absolutely. And I'm actually Yay. enjoying the other side. So Yay. that's my advice. <laughs> well, I think it's great advice. I, I think I, well, I wish I'd had that speech. I would have had even more people, <laughs> kids coming to sign up for the program back then. But Kate Wall's doing a great job yeah. and, and, and getting uh, a new group of EDGE scholars uh, each year. But I, I'm thinking about um, that notion of financial stability. Now, uh, when you, uh, came to the u.s talk about then what was it like compared to now and that i think as i think that has a lot to do with your realism about needing secure twice a month paychecks with benefits mm -hmm. uh, and it may not be that apparent to people who have been here all their lives and had it fairly easy 
Yeah. Um, so my story is a little like um, rough because we came from Colombia, not looking for the American dream. We came from Colombia because we were kicked out out of it as refugees because something happened to my dad. Um, so because of that, we had to come here, not really like, you know, wanting to. And I had a really good life in Colombia, really, really good life in Colombia, you know, like financial stability I didn't have to worry about anything I must say I was a brat I was you know really <laughs> privileged really really privileged in Colombia and I came here and we had to sell all of our stuff we have to do a lot of different things that I didn't really think that we would have to and we were my parents were working two three jobs a day I would be alone in a really uh, dangerous neighborhood in Hartford and that really pushed me to like, hey, you can't just be there crying because your daddy and your mommy are not there. Like you have to actually look for something for yourself and your life. And I mean, my parents taught me well. They were always like, hey, you always have to be resilient. You have to like keep working hard. Like they never, even though I was a brat, quote unquote, like they always told me I have to work for what I want in life. So I guess obviously that advice also helped me to like realize hey yes the art thing I love art I love doing all the different things and all that but what is there also for me that could keep my sanity you know in place and still do the things that I love on the side yeah so so that's perfect that's a perfect story I (laughs) I hadn't heard you were a brat I did meet I think I met your mom once at one of our events and she didn't say that but uh, they don't but, think so, but, there's, but but there's something to that though because you had uh, a life that you said in Colombia was working it's just that things happened and suddenly mm-hmm. you could no longer be there and you're fortunate to be where you could be safer but not all that safe until you were able and your folks were able to restore uh, exactly. uh you know a foundation of, of security uh exactly. you've done very well I'm actually looking through the camera <laughs> folks at Diana's new home it's very lovely it's i think it's you said it's your office and your studio yes and uh and what sort of <laughs> art am i to see uh that you make in that studio um so um i could i could kind of show I'll yeah just, sure i'll bring it back real quick okay it's one of them i'll pause So I'm just going to show my favorite ever painting that I did. Um, I don't know if you guys know who the Joker is. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. But um, it's like my favorite DC character. Um, and I really like how this came through. But I like doing more realistic paintings. As you can see, I like drawing people and, and that kind of stuff. That, that was a Joker, that. folks. That was a Joker. And then she had <laughs> she wrote Doc on it. Now, I, I don't know if you... you, you, you you think I'm that funny? I don't. No, I, I, but I think that's it. I mean, that is the point that when we do lock ourselves in quotes ourselves into a series of uh, daily work objectives and you have objectives every day, uh, it doesn't mean that you've now discounted every other way that you can be. You can be an analyst who loves the creative questions that come up in your analytics. You can be someone who draws pictures that make me go, ah, and get and get a nice reaction out of it. Now, then there's data, because you can say, hmm, what people thought, ah, and one person went, hmm. But now you've also learned that you like DC. That means you must go to their movies, right? 
Yes, I I love um, <laughs> most of their movies. Um, of course, my forever favorite Joker is gonna be Heath Ledger's. Um, so it, it was it's it's always amazing. Like I love all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> really psychedelic. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's wonderful because then we start making all the other wonderful connections that we humans make to create ultimately a community and even in society. Because I could say to you now, hmm, my 54 year old son, Dave, who, with whom I do some of the work on this podcast, he's works at Johns Hopkins. He's a sociologist. I could say he has started seeing those movies as soon as they came out when he was a teenager and, and he's never missed one. And he's, you know, <laughs> what is it about that? You know, what is it about him? What is it about you? Uh, I like them, but I wouldn't uh, spend my last dollar to go see one yet. <laughs> He masked himself all up and covered himself and went off to see one during the height of COVID when, when the theater was still open down in Baltimore. And this is, this is how we kind of fill it out. Now let's talk a moment as we're getting toward the latter part of our recording time about uh, two things. One, the friendships that you develop within this, within the company and how they compare with how we encouraged your friendships when you were a student at Central Connecticut State University, and of course, within the EDGE uh, family, as Kate would call it. So let's start with how, how have you been able to keep and make friends, particularly since you've been working virtually for over a year? Um, yeah, so I got into this program, it's called the uh, Product Management Development Program, and when I interned at Travelers for this program, that was two years ago in 2018, we got really close. That was obviously not during COVID. Um, and most of them, if not all, uh, got the full-time with the full-time program at Travelers. So I already had those connections with them. Um, and I would say it's, it's the most amazing feeling to feel that the competition is a friendly competition, if that makes sense. Yes, we're all trying sense. to progress. We're all trying to get promoted. We're all trying to look forward in our careers, but there's always a support system that um, I wouldn't really have otherwise. I see that when people come in an entry level and they don't really know anybody, like they feel a little left out. Um, so I will say that that's something that came with with Edge and with the um, prog program that I did last year and, and two years ago. But it's because we know how it feels to be a part of something. Whenever someone new comes, we're like, oh, hey, like, come on, you want to hang out with us? You want to, you know, do this and do that? And I think that's really important. Yes, friendly competition is healthy. Is is just something that uh, should be happening in most companies. But I know a lot of companies don't really have that because it's just like work, work, work. Like there's no type, there's no side for friendship or anything like that. So. Yeah. <laughs> which which would be uh, ultimately a tragedy because companies need folks like you more than ever young and, and energetic and 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 willing to learn hard to get uh, uh to become more useful to the organization uh now when you were with us at edge friends were made right and and we also had developed a, i think a mentoring program when you were there yes. um, and you worked in it did you were you one of the mentors I was one of the mentors and I also managed the program for, um, I think a semester or something. That's like right. That. I remember that. So what, what did we learn about the, a lot of the folks who came in that I knew them were, were relatively unsure, even though they had the internship 
and the and the edge support they were still pretty unsure of themselves mm -hmm. and they had some tough moments who doesn't but there mm -hmm. were some tough moments and you had that system underway what did you learn about those fellow students um, um, because most of them if not all of them are mm -hmm. successful now graduated and successful but they they were sometimes teetering on on the edge of that um, so I think it's important that what this mentoring system provides, it's a different perspective than it's just like just your your authority figure, right? It's someone that it's basically a friend, but it's also someone that is guiding you to get away from the bad things that like bring to you. Mm -hmm. I always tell my mentees that my first semester in college was not the best. I didn't have the best GPA. I was in a program that required me to have a certain um, GPA. So it, it, me telling that story every time I talk to them, open them up to be like, oh my God, like if that happened to you and you're being successful in what you're doing, then that means I could do it. So I think that's what it provides. It's, a, it's supposed to be an open environment. I don't know if all mentors are the same. I think they should because that's, that's when you actually get that connection with the person and you can actually help them in, in that sense. You learn from your mistakes. I learn from my mistakes. I'm hoping that you can learn from mine so you don't have to repeat them. But if you do repeat them, there's always a way to get out of it. That's that's kind of what Absolutely. it should always be. <laughs> Absolutely a perfect story in, in, in the, to be told and retold. Uh, do you remember why you didn't have a very good GPA that first semester or two? Um, why I didn't? Hmm. Because um, I think I was not understanding that I could ask for help. I was trying to do everything by myself. I was trying to just like grind on anything. And I didn't realize that you had to work smarter, not harder. So uh -huh. I was just like, you know, I was reading every single like, you know, piece of the textbook. I was doing all this, but then at the end it's like, oh no, you only have to do this. You only have to do that. Like that's the way that you actually did things. And I, that's something that really like pissed me off because I was like, oh my God, no, I could do this by myself. Then again, experiences kind of brought me to be that way, like having that huge pride and things like that. But then with the program and mentors, I realized, oh, I can definitely ask for help. I, I, I could talk to you. I could talk to Kate. I could talk to anybody. And I'm not going to be judged or, or, or forced into something I don't want. I'm going to be listened to and be like, why are you yeah. not doing good? And that's it. Oh yeah, I can. I can remember sitting in Kate's office when you'd come in from time to time, and you were, <laughs> you, you were like a. At first, we'd kind of feel the air shut, uh, vibrate, and then we'd hear as your feet were coming down the hall, and then we'd look at each other and say, "Oh, here comes Diana," because <laughs> you Probably. you have a lot of energy, but you also you know you 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 uh, kept a lot of mental. Uh, uh, balls juggling in the air in your head, your personal life and your work life in school, you were doing a lot. And to me, the ultimate test of that program is that you emerge. That's why we put the, the employment at the end of edge employ empowering dreams for graduation and employment, because if it's just graduation, but you haven't been in a way working on toughening yourself up, you know, for, uh, for whatever comes, oh, what do we have here? Then you don't, either you get employed or you're not as well employed. And we had you aiming high, which is where you are working in one of the finest, from my standpoint, finest companies in the land. Uh, you're a market analyst. You have quite a future. What are you peeking at just around the corner for you, Diana, at Travelers? 
Um, so I, I like to say that I just want to still be doing something that at least half my job is something I'm passionate about. Uh, I understand that not every single aspect of my job I'm going to like. There's some projects that are going to be more tedious. I mean, numbers are sometimes just boring and it's true. But I, there's other things of the job that I really enjoy that I want to keep continuing doing. And um, I definitely want to to see myself as a manager in whatever position I am, that it's helping people succeed. I, I think the biggest, the best feeling that you could have is uh, seeing someone that you mentor or you manage, and then they're like, hey, I got this great position as an actuarial or, you know, as, I don't know, like, if in the future someone tells me I was a CEO of Travelers, thank you for that advice you gave me. I will be so happy because that's just something that really I enjoy. And um, I think that's my biggest goal is, is being able to be someone that people could look at and then be like, thank you so much. You really helped me get to the point where I am because that's just what I want to do. I don't know position-wise where I want to be. I'm someone that kind of just goes with the flow. Um, and I do love learning, so it wouldn't really matter where I am in the company as long as I'm progressing and, and learning new things and, and talking to different people. But when it comes to, to that aspect, I, I just, yeah, I just want to have a lot of people that I can mentor and, and help out. <laughs> no, that's, and you just popped into that, um, that look around the corner, something that I truly believe about management, being a manager. First, well, first you said, I'll manage in any position I have, even if it's not by title, I'll manage. And what does that mean? It means helping other people grow, get ahead, advance, and become uh, more of what they can be. To me, that's managing. And uh, mm -hmm. frankly, that defined all my years of teaching. Uh, the subject matter always changed, but every class and everything I, I did for the 52 years I was in higher education, the greatest joy was to have someone like you come back uh, and say, look at me now. And and if they add to that, hey, and you had something to do with that, then, you know, for Ching, that's my, that's my spiritual paycheck. <laughs> so, yeah, it feels great. <laughs> it does. So thank you, Diana Sanchez, market analyst, the Travelers mm -hmm. Company, former Edge Scholar, and always someone I'm going to be looking forward to learning from. Thank you so much, Doug. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcasts, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.